0: This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our evening Bible study uh, this Wednesday. We are currently in the last words of Moses. Moses is finishing up his big uh, monologue, the longest monologue in the entire Bible, Uh, as he is preparing the children of Israel to enter the land of Canaan, to establish a just society that is going to mimic the character of God and hopefully be a light to the nations. Uh, And we've been reading his words and applying them to ourselves, our community, and this day and age. Now the Lord is present spirit is with us just as we are scattered all over the world we are united by that so brother neville please pray us in
2: yes indeed let's pray father we thank you for this opportunity this evening to gather around your word and we thank you lord for the work that people have put in down through the centuries to enable us to have your word in our lives and in front of us and so easily accessible. Father, we bless you for these things. And Father, we pray that you would be with us by your spirit and anoint uh, Aaron's teaching to us. We pray. Amen.
1: Amen. All right, Thank you. So looking over um, last week's notes, follow along. If you've uh, downloaded them, Deuteronomy 31. So, Moses is coming to the end of his monologue, as well as his life in general. God has decreed that Moses will not cross the Jordan, and that today, which is his 120th birthday, will be his final day in this world. Putting in place a tradition that says that the heroes of God die on the same day as they are born. Moses says God himself will cross the Jordan with the Israelites. Now God has been with the people in Egypt. He partook of the exodus with them and has dwelt among them in the wilderness. He has never actually left them, despite their rebelliousness. And that is a comforting thought for us all. God has led Israel in a joint venture with Moses, God and man working together. And now both will go in to take possession of the land. While it is not always easy for us to understand the ways of the Lord, some evil needs to be purged through violence. This fate of destruction will befall the inhabitants of Canaan due to their sin, which has now reached its zenith. Israel has only known Moses as leader and guide and may have had some trepidation over the future without him. Moses gives them encouraging words that are familiar to us. Be not afraid. Be strong and courageous. Joshua is appointed to replace Moses in a public commissioning. Leadership in the Bible does not come through democratic elections. Even Paul gives Timothy and Titus instructions on how to appoint leaders. Of Joshua, it is written in Exodus, 33 verse 11, that he is a resident of the tabernacle, although he descends from the tribe of Ephraim. This indicates that access to the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was not restricted to the priestly class. Now Joshua also receives the same encouragement that is given to Israel and the similar promise that God himself will be with Joshua. Again, God and man working together. Going in to take possession of the land was the Lord's idea and promise. However, God works through men and women. Thus, Israel will also have to fight. Similarly, we might pray to God to heal, and he can, but he can also use medical practitioners to heal. God can and does speak to his people in dreams and visions. So too can he speak words of knowledge through people to people. Moses concludes writing the Torah, which he delivers to the Israelites. Now, scholars debate exactly which books were written, with the traditional view being the entire five books of Moses. Although the Torah itself does not actually make this claim. Rather, it notes that he wrote portions of it. For example, in Exodus 34, 27, where the Lord instructs Moses to write. The Torah is given to Levites, who are to read it to the people of Israel in a seven-year cycle. Hearing the text, memorizing, and putting it into practice, what is heard, becomes a valuable part of Israel's life. Now, there is a tradition that each tribe received its own copy of the Torah, while the text notes that a copy was placed beside the Ark of the Covenant. No one was exempt from hearing the words of God, and that included the children and even the foreigner in the land. This was one way to which the Gentiles, too, would have had access to the word of God. Following the destruction of the temple and the creation of the synagogue, the public reading of the Bible continued in the presence of both Jewish and Gentile families. As James says in Acts 15, Moses is read every Shabbat. Now God summons Moses and Joshua to the Mishkan, which is called the Tent of Meeting or the Appointed Place, the Ohel Moed, the Moedim, which is the same word which is used in conjunction with the appointed feasts of the Lord, the Chag Moedim. Appearing in a cloud, the Lord declares that the people of Israel will go astray and fall into idolatry following the conquest of Canaan. Not exactly the pep talk of inspiration that Joshua may have hoped for as the new leader of Israel. Interestingly, the invasion of Canaan is not cancelled due to future failure and sin. The Lord says his face will become hidden from Israel as a direct result of willful idolatry and human decision. God does not abandon his people. His people abandon God losing the ability to connect with heaven. God instructs Moses to compose a rather strange national anthem in which the impending doom and disaster is prophesied. The Torah itself acts as a witness against those that trespass the commandments of God. The Torah is the word of God. It contains the instructions of the Lord, his will, his desires, his dislikes and his likes, and his plans for the future. It is read in public and on public display in the main sanctuary. Later, Isaiah the prophet, in chapter 8, 16 and 17, recalls the testimony of warning that Israel had. Yet in disobedience, the face of God was hidden from them. Yet there is always hope, the hope for repentance and redemption, and through the prophecy of Isaiah, the messianic redeemer himself. Thus, Isaiah concludes, I will put my trust in him. It's a summary of our little discussion from Deuteronomy 31. And now looking at the Song of Moses. Reasonably long. So I will read, um, I mean, the the majority portion to verse 43, and we'll see how much of it we manage to, to get through. Okay, I'm reading from an ESV. Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain and my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up in its nest that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings and catching them, bearing them in its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field. And he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herb and milk from the flock, the fat of the lambs, rams of Bashan, and the goats with the finest of wheat. And you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy, with strange gods, with abominations that proved him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You are unmindful of the rock who bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters, and he said, I will hide my face from them, I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They've made me jealous from what is no God. They've provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled by my anger and it burns up the depths of Sheol, devours the earth and its incense and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And I will heap disasters upon them, I will spend my arrows on them they shall be wasted with hunger devoured by a plague and poisonous pestilence i will send the teeth of beasts against them and the venom of things that crawl in the dust outdoors the sword shall bereave and indoors terror for young man and woman alike, the nursing child with man of gray hairs i would have said i will cut them to pieces i will wipe them from, the in- from human memory had I not feared propagation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is triumphant, it was not the Lord who did all of this. For they are a nation void of counsel, and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this, they would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two have put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are the grapes of poison and the clusters of bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with, with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. Then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold of judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy rejoice with him O heavens bow down to him all gods for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries he repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land thus says the lord wow what a song okay this is uh uh probably not going to win any grammys per se but it is an incredibly powerful piece of poetry that has incredible depths of meaning. And uh, it's one of those pieces of scripture that you can keep turning to again and again and again and continue to find something new uh, and exciting every morning. So according to our tradition, based on an initial, to shut, simple reading of the text, what is there, guys, that jumps out at you? what is there that's something that you notice for the very first time? Or perhaps you read this often and you always notice it. Please share.
2: I was amused by the long-haired heads of the enemy. I hadn't realized that they were long-haired. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a yeah. Curious little note. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's not particularly profound, but it just struck me as curious.
3: Verse number eight. What's that? When um, Yon gave each nation its heritage, when he divided the human race, he assigned the boundaries of peoples according to Israel's population. Was there an Israel at that point in time when God did all those things?
1: Um, Well, my translation has the number of the sons of God what is everybody else's translation? Yeah, but the actual Hebrew is, you are correct. No, that's a good question. I don't, I can't answer that. The actual Hebrew does say that God gave each nation borders based on the number of Israelites. Now, isn't that an interesting, an interesting thought?
3: I have a note that it's 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 apportioned according to to uh, the sons of of God or the angels the various nations are portrayed as having their respective guardian angels.
1: okay well that's an interesting thought that would see that would be a a, 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 a good translation if it actually said B'nai, um, B'nai Lahim but it actually doesn't it actually says in Hebrew. Le mispar, according to the number, Ben Israel, according to the number of Israel. And, uh, and yes, I'm going I, I to say foot- that most translations don't say Israel, because that's a problematic translation, isn't it? Well, I have a footnote that says it's a textual variant found in the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Septuagint. The Septuagint says sons of God. That's what my footnote says. Okay, that's that's interesting because um so for those that are listening and and don't know, um I know it comes as a shock. Well, it shouldn't because we've actually talked about them before. There are variant manuscript texts out there, and um, that doesn't mean it's not the word of God. Okay, that doesn't mean that your faith is shattered and there's no God and you're all just a product of chemical soup. If that's your conclusion <laughs> from any of this, oh my gosh, okay, something's seriously wrong. Um. But one, one manuscript tra- transmission said that it was the B'nai Israel and so therefore could have been a group of people who were very pro-Zion. But there's another manuscript transmission which said that it was actually B'nai Elohim, the sons of God, and would therefore be considered uh, a different form of interpretation, which may be what um, Tom had led to. And, uh, and when you have a look at Dead Sea Scrolls and Septuagint, that was the, ones, that was the manuscripts that they had in their possession. Does that help or does that shock everyone? Aaron, for me,
3: it just, it, my belief is because God is outside of time Yes, that he created, he sees the beginning from the end and he can mm. intervene at any point in time. These words he gives to, to Moshe, it's not a problem when you realize God is outside of the whole picture. Seeing beginning from end. Sure. I, I don't know if that's or not, but for me, it, uh, that helped. I just never really had noticed
0: that. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. So. Um, for me, I see it's more as um, a pattern that um, Elohim used to create the old world. Um, we know that in the end time, um, when we all appear in the kingdom, we're all going to be segregated into the 12 tribes is also according to Israel so even though from the beginning there was no tri- there was no nation of Israel but God has it in his mind to pattern the world according to Israel um, um Aaron you had this map be- behind you for some time and your background uh, which puts um Jerusalem at the center of the world you know it, it's I, I don't think it's very I don't think it's coincidence I think it's 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 a real God's plan to put Israel, yes, does it at the center of the world so that um, he may show himself that he's a God that rules in the affairs of men. Correct. And the the Masoretic text flows upon that
1: line and that was always in the mind of God to create a people and he would use these people to bless the world. This sort of idea that we're beginning to see that God and man do this journey together. It has been it has been Moses and God for a while. Now it will become Moses and uh, sorry Joshua and God, but also the people and God. While God will cross the Jordan, that is true. Joshua will cross the Jordan, that is also true. But so will the people, and uh, and that is also a, a a good thing for all of us. Yeah. Excellent. Great.
4: All right, anything uh, else? For me, what really jumps out, yeah, um, was just the verse before that particular verse saying, Remember the days of old and consider the years of um, many generations as your fathers. So you know, I was reading a midrash that kind of puts um, the time of this text, and it was so much early that it adds no scientific um, or uh, modern um, interpretation to it from scientific point of view, and it kind of separates time from the kind of time we have now. What I mean by that is that the twenty-four hours we have now used is not the same twenty-four hours that was in early times um, during the time of um, maybe 20th or things like that. Very, very um, complex, but it's um, uh, it's very interesting that um, the, the Bible kind of separates time there. You see, remember the days of old and consider the years of many generations. Um, ask your father, they will tell you. It kind of, there was a separation of time, uh, yep. which um, the world does. Yep. It's, it's amazing, yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's some very interesting
1: midrashim on time. For those that have ever wanted to do a Bible study on uh, Jewish concept of time, uh, they've got some very, very cool things that they, that they do. Um, and they find these, these sort of verses all over Scripture, very obscure little verses that discuss time, and then they begin to put them all together. And uh, and 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 sometimes when you listen to their conclusions, you think, "Oh my gosh, we are all on drugs," but um, but they're not. They're they're, <laughs> they're wrestling with the the concept that they, as finite beings, are trying to understand a God who is outside of time and how he can mm-hmm. can, can can jump in and out and and, and still be the same guy, uh, which is. Which is uh, quite quite fascinating,
5: Erin. I have uh, something that definitely uh, caught my attention in, in this chapter, which is amazing. There's so many illusions uh, talks about the rock and the birth, birthing processes. The yep. one thing that really caught my attention was the way, in terms of time, how it's it, this this you know, looks backward and it also looks forward. For and three words um, that I'd studied that talk about there are three words that there only have been talked about in the beginning in Genesis and they have only been and then the second time and the, 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 that we hear about them is in Deuteronomy thirty-two. So the first one is in verse two, which is desh, deshe, which is grass. Then tohu in verse ten, and um, the rahaf, the fluttering which brings us back to Genesis 1, where he talks about, you know, tohu vavohu, everything was of the barren wilderness. And then the spirit uh, was fluttering as he talks about the eagle fluttering over its young in verse 11. He found Israel in a desert waste, howling waste, just like the wasteland in the very beginning, where he, from that, he made this beautiful creation, which is in verse 2, he talks about that the teachings, that's another illusion dropping as rain, like the Torah, my speech distill does dew upon the tender grass, which again is this deshe, or um, they, we have that at the very beginning in Genesis one. So it's amazing how you have these concepts from the beginning of the creation and you have them again in Deuteronomy 32, those are the only times. <clears throat> so it's causing us to go back to the beginning And to reevaluate, that's why he talks some very interesting things, like verse 20. I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be in verse 20. And then he talks about 29, that they would discern their latter end. And then at the end, in verse 47, for it is no empty word for you, but for your very life. So it's as if he's calling them back to images of creation and saying, hey, maybe you're going. You're going to go into the Promised Land. I know things are going to mess up here. And there's a lot of not very positive things in this in this right. chapter, unfortunately. But but at the end, there is a promise, and it's interesting how he's saying, "Listen, you know that these words can be life." So he's bringing them back to creation, and saying maybe we can recreate and try this all over again as we go into into this Promised Land and and into your very future. So I thought that was uh, very. Interesting.
1: Yep. Very good. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a a lot of what Moses is saying. I mean, obviously, it's a poem, and he's using things that he sees, but he's also saying something that's actually outside of time because he's talking about a people who are already in the land, but he obviously isn't there yet. Um, and So it's a very interesting song. So the song is like a psalm, okay? It's using Hebrew parallelisms. What's a Hebrew parallelism I hear you ask? Yeah where each line is paralleled by the following line, okay? So one line says something, and another line, the ne- very next sentence says something very similar, using the same sort of imagery, but but running things in opposites and, and parallels. Now, Moses has only one other psalm in the Bible attributed to him. He's got this song. He's got the, the previous short song of a you know, rather horrible national anthem uh, in verse 31, but... Um, Psalm ninety, yes, you well done, Ivan. Yeah. Psalm ninety is his, uh, which is uh, attributed attributed to him, which starts obviously also with creation. Um, now, some people don't think this song occurred in uh, that that Moses uh, could have written it because it presupposes that Israel's in the land has already failed, and so they, you know, there are scholars who, when they when they critique the Bible, they will never. Allow a thing called prophecy, so they will always say, yeah. "No, there's a guy rewriting back," and that's um, not uh, a, 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 that's a criticism that you will find in many sceptics. It's not a very fair one, but it, but it is. Um, Josephus, well, Jewish historian, so he claimed that um, this song, this portion, this chapter. Was actually not just only part of the scroll of Deuteronomy, but it actually had its own little um, scroll and was actually kept separate um, in uh, and, and kept in the temple, and was actually sung by the by the priests and worshippers every Shabbat. It's interesting. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, just so you know, those Dead Sea scroll community, which is a great little witness to what a group of Jewish people did do and practice about 100 years before Yeshua, they also kept this scroll separate. They actually had this song also separate, just like they did in the temple, which makes sense if they actually are disgruntled priests from the temple. And they also would uh, sing this song on the Sabbath. So it seems to have had some sort of liturgical use, okay, Um, uh, at least several generations prior to Yeshua prior to Jesus, so it was a very important document for Israel. It was kept separate from the the rest of uh, the Torah, and it was used as part of its liturgical service. And um, as Mordecai will probably share uh, in a few minutes, when we start going through it, this is a a, a very powerful song, and um, and is it, and a lot of Orthodox people. Flock to it or draw back to it to look at some of the deeper meanings um, that are in there. Okay, so uh, let's have a look at Asnu uh, HaShamayim. Uh, and it's a, it's a very, the Hebrew is, the Hebrew is absolutely beautiful for those that want to read it. There's some Hebrew words that don't mean that are really incredibly difficult to translate, there are Hebrew words that are just not translated in english okay because people just don't know what they do what to do with them so we get to them i will let you know just for example at the start okay listen heavens okay the ears of heaven they need to listen the i will speak to who yes Bra means i'm speaking to you like the, the the when you put a hay on the end of something it is a is a motion like i can say um, i i walk ani halech i walk towards my house ani olech but the actually what you say it in hebrew is ani you just you, it's, a, it's biblical hebrew which is still in modern hebrew Okay, it doesn't have any meaning outside of, in modern Hebrew, but there's Moses. Moses says, give ears to me, heavens, because I'm talking to you. Now, that is really powerful. So, um, Mordecai, well, you're, you're here, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. Now, so Moses, he's talking to heaven, and then he says, listen, earth, right? Tishma yeah. pa'aretz, listen, earth why what, what what can we learn from these two different ways of of saying
6: well isaiah also also uses the same thing but he switches them isaiah says "Hear heaven and you know listen earth midrash explains that this is because one can ask someone who is close to him to listen and one who is far from him to hear so basically moshe was very close to the heaven and that's because he says, in heaven, and uh, let the earth hear, because he was already, you know,
1: up. Um, yeah. Does everyone understand what Mordecai just said? Okay, so in, in, in Hebrew, again, remember, Jewish people read the Bible with a fine-tooth comb, and they look at the poetry. It's poetry. I get it. So we're going to use different words. I get it. But there's still a reason why certain words are used. And, uh, and it seems Moses, as Mordecai said, is a little closer to God. God is literally standing right in front of him in a cloud. He's incredibly close. Yeah. But, um, Isaiah,
6: Isaiah was also so close to the heavens, but he didn't want to, you know, make him equal to Moshe. So, therefore, he <laughs> switches the words, yeah. switches
1: yep. the order. The, yeah. humility, the humility of the prophet. And so um yeah, so Moses says, I'm talking to you, heavens, so earth, you listen to me while I'm while I'm talking. Okay? And uh and he begins um by looking around at the at the at the world. So he says, you know, I see rain, my speech is like dew, this is very much Hebrew parallelisms, uh raindrops like a herb and showers like grass. And you go, oh, it's absolutely beautiful, very poetic, Um, using lots of imagery. He then says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Okay, so question, how do you do that? What do you think, guys? Okay, anybody?
4: Well, you
2: talk about God's character and how he... Is both merciful and just.
1: Okay. So that's how you would do it. You call it on a little by describing his character. Okay. But what about the name itself? Can you actually say such a thing? Uh, obviously, obviously, in Jewish circles, we don't. So Mordecai, obviously, we do not say the name of God out loud, do we? Can't possibly. No. So uh, what do you think? How does How does he proclaim God's name?
6: So in in our tradition, this is in use. So we just bless his name. For example, in the mornings and you know in the evenings, we have a lot of prayers beginning with Baruchat Adonai. So bless are you Lord. And when the community hears the name of Adonai, they say Baruchu Baruch Shema, So bless be blessed is name. So all the entire community says it loudly when whenever they hear God's word. So you you have been to many synagogues. You probably heard like people are you know like whispering or like uh, they shouldn't whisper but in mo- in most uh, orthodox synagogues they are loudly saying Baruch Hu Baruch Shema so that means bless him mm-hmm. and bless his name so this is kind of in use in this order in the synagogue. right because so the first
1: one in a verse, sorry verse 3 in Hebrew says Kishem Adonai Ekra which literally means, okay, um, the name of the Lord, I will call out,
0: yeah. right? You're like,
1: and you go, what? How would you? I mean, you can't do that, right? But then, as Neville uh, hinted at, the next sentence is, <laughs> Right? Uh, is like, what is the most greatest thing? I will make, gr- I will make great God. Well, how will you make God great?
6: By saying it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but of course, because they can't say it, but, but God has other names. Like he got heaps yeah. of names in the Bible. I mean, you just name them, but they all
7: describe
1: yeah. part of his character. What is, what's was that, Stephen?
7: Well, I, I thought it's interesting in looking at the Orthodox Jewish Bible that I have here, it talks about I will publish. The name of of God or Hashem, um, which is I've I've never seen it as publish, you know, it, it, and we call it proclaiming in our English language. But when it, you know, is there a difference between the way they have translated this as publish? Oh, it's the word. Is that is that why like putting an advertisement on your forehead and by <laughs> outwardness, so you know, I mean. So. Yeah, no, it's it's it's. There's the dress that publishes it, right? It's the way you carry yourself. Cool. It, it's it doesn't have to be verbal, right? Yeah, that's right. The
1: the um, ekra like likro uh, means to call. It also means to name, right? Okay. You can actually say you know how do you say this in Hebrew? korim et zebivrit. Okay. Um, and it also means to read, lire, to read, and something. I on I read the music. That's why right, you know, proclaiming. It's right, there. Right. There you go. Yeah. So, um, so they they <laughs> they take this this word which can mean a multiple thing, and then in English they got to pick one. Unfortunately, English is one of those languages. <laughs> one of those languages. Um, each each word, t- t- sometimes not always, there are some words that mean multiple things. But unfortunately, many of the translators, they just got to pick one. And so, yeah, publish, proclaim, call out, I will say, okay, I will read. Oh, my gosh, the, the, the Hebrew is actually really quite beautiful because it allows you to keep coming back. I mean, when Mordecai and I were talking about this during the week, he was talking about him and his guys, right? a little group of students that he studies with and he teaches. And says, you know, often we, you know, we come back to this. Why? Because you only have to read two or three lines, and there's something new there. And you go, wow, that's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sit on the bus, read two sentences, and just think about it. And, uh, and that's actually really quite special. Okay. Like
5: the, word, like the word chesed, right? Chesed, it's just some, it's so beautiful, and so many translations, and they can't get the full concept on
6: Yeah. This chapter has a lot of, you know, this chapter symbolizes a lot of worldly things. So if you just go back and pick one, you absolutely will find something else that applies to your life, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a long chapter.
1: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, And I always think like, okay, Moses, your last day of life. Seriously, this is how you want to spend it? You know, doing a karaoke? I mean, that's pretty impressive, really. Honestly, it's pretty impressive. Okay. Which also just describes to you how fit this guy is. Remember last week we were talking, the only reason Mo- Moses dies is because God told him to, okay? Um, he wasn't gonna. So he was perfectly fine. Okay. Okay. He is the rock. Ooh. And, and as you said, Yvonne, the the image of the rock Appears all through this song. He's he's and uh, and what do you know about rocks? Describe rock. Why call God a rock?
2: It's often done in in contrast to shifting sand or yeah. for its firmness. And you, when you stand on a rock, you feel unmovable, or at least as unmovable as you could be.
5: Yeah, okay. It's good. A par- the parable, of course, in the uh. The Brita Dasha, which is, you know, the sand and the and the move the rock and and the rock of help, and then Ebenezer, and then he contrasts the rock here, which is very interesting. The rock is perfect. The rock, his work is perfect, and it's upright. And then he contrasts that to them not being, you know, them being uh, crooked and twisted. So it's interesting the contrast of the rock with uh, mm-hmm. being steadfast. Firm with verse five of being crooked and twisted. So, it's that concept of uh, of firmness,
1: yep, solid, you know, sure footing, uh, juxtaposed with shifting sand. But also in Israel's physical context, what has been following them in the desert?
2: The rock.
5: (laughs) rock.
1: And uh, yeah, it's been pumping out living water and has never, never left them even when they have rebelled, right? Which is an interesting thought. Moses and has, has left the camp. They've set up the tent of meeting outside. God has sometimes left Israel's camp. But that rock, well, it kind of just sat there, pumped out living water. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that's a very powerful <laughs> image. So if you're going to have any image to tell Israel, you know, what's God like? Well, he's like that big guy right over there. I mean, he's the rock. He's perfect. He has never, never let us down. The water has never stopped coming. And nothing has destroyed this rock, which is a very powerful image. So this image shows up all through all through this song. Okay. And he's perfect. Excellent. Fantastic. Um uh, what what do you guys have for the translation of four? All his ways are Verse four. Yeah, you've got an ESV like me. Justice. All his
4: ways are perfect.
1: Perfect. All his ways are just. 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 Yep. Most translations say just. There's a few that say justice. And uh, there's a big difference between just and justice. It In actually Hebrew does, it says mishpat. Nachon, that's right. Yes, correct. The Hebrew is kol d'achav mishpat. All his ways are, and <laughs> Beit mishpat is, is justice. It's... Um, Perfect. That, that's actually more the more literal translation. Um, the word just is... Uh, any, any English teachers present today? Anyone... No, okay.
2: but ah. it's from the French root, meaning much the same as righteous.
1: Right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh English uses it as an adverb right, to describe something. What are his ways like? His ways are just, and that's creates uh, the adjective that uh, describes a verb. But the actual mishpat is a noun. Beit mishpat in Hebrew. You know, you've got to go to the Beit mishpat, the house of justice. Okay. And
6: you
1: Hopefully, go, we never go. Oh yes, please. Okay, stay away from that place. Okay, um, all God's ways are justice. That means the 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 they lead all God's ways lead to something called justice. But you don't use it to describe the verb. What do I mean by that? Okay, I'll ask another good question, or a question might not be a good one. The verse goes on He is a God of truth. Okay, upright justice is He. All His ways are perfect, all His works are perfect. Okay, so He does no wrong. What has some of the things that God does which we might say? Are not very nice or just
5: chastisements.
1: Uh, sorry, Yvonne?
5: Chastisement.
1: Okay, chastisement. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But um, if I've done something wrong, I kind of deserve chastisement. So you would say that God is Righteous acting justly. punishment. Punishment. Okay. Righteous punishment. Correct. Right. Okay. All right. And but actually, man,
2: all his ways are also merciful.
1: All his ways are merciful. Well, what would be some of his ways that perhaps a, a modern reader might say, no, God couldn't possibly have done that because that's not very merciful? Wiping out whole civilizations. Um, there you go. What are we about to yeah. do when we cross the Jordan? Are we going to be incredibly nice to our neighbors? No. No, we are not going to build them a barbecue and make falafels. Okay, that is something we are not going to do to the people of Canaan. Um, and but yet, this is what it, Moses Moshe is teaching Israel. Everything God is doing
6: is, is good,
1: is justice. Yes, it leads to good. Uh, uh, I'm going to ask Borukay to talk a little bit about that. How bad becomes good in a minute, but. We can look at, you know, some of God's things when he's been teaching and we go, his ways are just, no, everything he does leads to justice. It might not look like on our side because we can't often see what he means uh, from heaven's perspective, but he does no wrong, okay? So what about forbidding slavery? Why didn't he do that? He doesn't. He tells you how to treat slaves properly and how you free them after time. What he tells you how to treat captured uh, war booty, which includes humans. What? How does this work? Um, he has nothing to say about multiple wives. Where's Sharon these days? Is she angry with me yet? Okay, but <laughs> um, uh, but it's all God's ways. All His works are perfect, and everything leads to justice. We might not see it as just, but it does lead to justice and mordecai will talk and i were talking about this during the week how do things that seem bad somehow end up good so any thoughts on god's Um, way first of all
6: to answer your yeah to answer your questions question about the slavery uh, god of israel wants us to progress you know ourselves he just doesn't uh, tell us All things to do, or he doesn't give us all the things we need. I gave this example of the Lubavitch Rebbe. He used to give $1 every Sunday, and there was this guy came to him and asked him a blessing for his business. He told him, I give you my blessing, but tomorrow you have to go and open your business. Tomorrow is Monday. So you got to do something in order to uh, make this blessing come true. I think about the slavery or wives, God, God just probably wanted us to know that the slavery was bad. And, I mean, finally we we got that idea. Right? Finally, the slavery is not a thing anymore. And so, as you say, that God has no wrong and no bad. Everything that comes from him is good. So it might not good, you know, at the first stage, but, uh, you know, sometimes people say, God has punished me. Oh, God has destroyed me. But he, he doesn't punish people, right? even though in in the previous chapter we saw a lot of c- cursings, so blah, blah. But as you said, I mean, bad becomes good at the end, all the time. You know, there is no uh, bad situation that never, you know, ended. And every bad, t- I mean, everything that looks bad has good in it because God does not create bad, you know. All his ways are justice, and according to his justice and mercy, he wants us to progress or understand or learn something that might look bad. You know,
5: that's, that's, that's trusting
6: trust God. Yeah,
5: mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mordecai. Yeah, and just to add on Mordecai, when he says that he makes good Tov, and he also makes raw. and so he he makes that, and of course, as they would say, it's to test your Yetzer Hara, or Yetzir Hatzov, even yeah. all of that, to test, to see which inclination we're going to go, uh, which we're going to lean towards. So even the Ra that, that he creates, the, the, the verse says evil, it's still for Good. A, a purpose. Well,
7: Correct. Well, my question, it, it won't make God happy, you know? It, you know, God, God here, he does a lot of um, uh, linear thinking. He talks straight talks narrow. He uses a lot of measurements, um, you know, throughout the entire story of his. Um, it, and it's as if he's pointing the way for us to go, as it says, uh, places that we're in to follow him. He guided them with the what, smoke by day, the cloud by day and light. So those were images for the people to follow, for them to choose to follow or not. You know, when he talks about that he was before, uh, he was the only God that, that uh, no one else, when he, what, in verse 10, he said, no one else? Uh, no, 12. When the Lord led him alone, you know, no foreign God was with him. Yeah. That, that he's setting an example. He states what he would like, and let's choose. We choose poorly sometimes. We like sand instead <laughs> of rock.
6: Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah, Stefan, you are absolutely right. And we humans like to blame God for any, anything, you know. Oh, I don't have money. Oh, I don't have wife. I don't have a job. So like, well, in our tradition, a Jewish God doesn't provide everything to you. You got to do something on your own because he wants you to become holy as he is holy. I'm not talking about becoming gods like the Mormons believe, but he wants us to be like him. So in order to be like him, if you just keep sitting at home and just complaining about how bad your Hebrew is, then God wants you to practice it, you know? Or let's say you couldn't pay your mortgage. Maybe God wants you to, I mean, go and find a better job. Maybe it will bring a better job. Because you will start to search about a new job. I mean search a new job, right? So be yeah. like blaming God. I, I personally do all the time, you know, as you see, many Israel, as, uh, children of Israel like blaming on him. Like, oh this happened yeah. to us, this happened to us. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, sir, He's, all his ways are justice. So just trust in him. Yeah. But don't you wait see. a lot, uh, a lot of things from him.
4: He wants you to progress as well. Go, Shimshon. Excellent. All right. I, I think um, Paul also kind of emphasizes on that in Romans 8. Um, says that all things work together for good uh, okay. for those who are called. Yeah. Romans 8, 28. And um, we'll work together for good for those who are called and those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. So. Um, He's trying to paint a picture of things not looking good in the beginning, but at the end of the day, all things work together for good. Um, It's just the same way God called Abraham, uh, I think it's in um, um, Genesis 17, and says, I am your exceedingly great reward. And the next thing, he says, I know for sure that your children are going to be slaves for 400 years. I mean, God is saying, I'm your reward. I mean, God, as a reward, is, is yeah. we, we think of it as something good and beautiful and wonderful. Then the next thing he says, oh, your, your sons are going for, to slavery. Uh, that doesn't sound like a reward, but we know that when they came out, they came out with a great reward at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah.
1: very good. Excellent. It is sometimes hard. We all admit, of course, that when we're going through a rough patch, when, when we are having our time in Egypt, It looks a little bleak, and 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 we get it, we understand, and and that is true, real suffering, and needs to be acknowledged. The valuable thing about prophecy, and the valuable thing about these words of encouragement, is that uh, you know God says uh, it 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 will get good, you know, or or everything I'm doing is justice and does lead to something good, because that's my character. I'm perfect. In fact, the very next, like the next sentence after that, um, it says, he's a God of faithfulness. Nope. He's faithful. We're often not, but he is, and he doesn't have iniquity. He is just an upright. He's a Tzaddik, which is something we're all trying to aspire to be, you know, a Tzaddik, and he is Yashar. He is straight. He is upright. And, um, and so yeah. if he, if he's the one looking after us, that's the best person to, to have. So, um, all of our discussion and everything that we've said um, is, is all true. We still acknowledge a, a, a problem. We shouldn't, uh, um, when someone is struggling, we shouldn't just say, don't worry, mate, it'll, it'll get better. We do need to come alongside and, and help. However, it also will get better because <laughs> uh, no. God will, will, work it, will work that out. And we okay. also
6: need to pray and ask his assistance. No,
1: Correct. Yes. Yes. There, yeah. You can't just sit around and, and wait there as, as Mordecai says, you have to cross the Jordan. We've mentioned that a few times in this, in this text. Um, you still have to go face the giants. You still have to go and uh, defeat the enemy. Uh, it can, can be tough. And, um, and as is saying, you know, so many times in the, in, when God speaks to his heroes, he says, I'm going to bless you and then something bad's going to happen. Um, just look what happened to good old Joshua. Last chapter, Joshua, you're going to lead the people. Oh, by the way, when you when you get over over side and succeed, that it all goes pear shaped. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: Thanks, Lord, I appreciate that. I'm going to stay here. You know, yeah. why would I dare go over there? Um, but anyway, okay. So uh, God is upright and just, fantastic. But then, then the the next part of the the thing begins to switch. Uh, They deal corruptly with him. They are no longer his children. They are blemished, crooked, twisted. And then you get this juxtaposition between foolish, unwise, corrupt, wicked. Um, And in amongst this, uh, in verse 6, is something incredibly powerful. Do do you thus repay the Lord? He's doing all these wonderful blessings and you're going to weigh and be corrupt and you're going to be unwise even though he's giving you perfect instruction. Uh you are foolish and you are senseless, okay? You're foolish and unwise, paired with corrupt and uh and uh blemished and crooked. Is he not your father? Who has created you? Has he and so what's so powerful about that sentence? Does anyone know?
2: Is it the first time that God is referred to as father?
1: Yeah. Yes, he first is. This is it. This is the first reference in the Bible where we actually give the, the, the title of God, Avichah. I mean, that's... Uh, and, then of course, obviously it's not biological. Obviously the people of Israel aren't going, oh, my gosh, you know, God has come down and impregnated my mother. And, uh, okay, no one thinks like that. They understand that these terms... Ben Elohim, son of God; Ben Adam, son of man; Aveinu Hashemaim, our Father in heaven. They understand that these na- these titles are not biological, yeah. and um, and so yeah. Here in this
6: poem, as you say, this is so related to what we said. You know, in the beginning, in the wilderness, it was so bad. Like, it looked very bad, like 40 years in the wilderness. They keep complaining. Look, in the end, you got a father. It mm. looked bad. Now you got a father. That's pretty good. You survived and you, you accept the Torah and the law. You walk after him, after Moshe, and you came to the land. Now you got a father.
5: But it's interesting because just like they got a father, he also deals corruptly. He says, "Because you have dealt corruptly," verse five. They are low benai; <laughs> they're low benai, so they're not his children. Verse five: benai.
1: Right, they are no longer his children, and yet here he is your father. So you get that juxtaposition, that yeah. um, which is which is interesting. And again, out of the bad, as Mordecai is saying, can come something good. Okay. Wander through the wilderness, and get a God who ends up with an incredible title, not just God, great one, distant and remote, but instead, Abicha, your father, which is a very, and it's, and it's personal, Abicha, your God, okay? That's very individual, your, your, your father, very personal. All right, verse seven, right? Um, brings in again, memory which is an incredibly powerful theme as we've, we've done, dealt with in um, all of the Tanakh Safa. So Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. Okay. So this brings in, again, the powerful image of how memory is very important in not just personal history, but in national history, family history, tribal history, all of that. And, um, and that there, there is a definite need within our societies, within our communities, to maintain an attachment to the previous generation. Now, for those of us who live in the rich West, although I'll ask Shimshon to see if it's a little different in Nigeria, okay? in the rich West, uh, we love to uh, not have anything to do with our parents. Isn't that sad? You know, um, but Moses is not saying that. Moses, and, and neither does the Bible. The Bible is very clear. You know, take heed to what your parents have taught you, take heed to what the generations have done, listen to the wisdom of the elders, and, uh, and look what happens to a society that rejects the past. Oh my gosh, do we go off on some very interesting side trails? Shimshon. Tell us about uh, Africa. Well, your bit of it anyway. You guys have a good appreciation of the previous generations?
4: Absolutely. Um, For us, um, there's so many things you cannot do, you cannot do, except your parents comes into play. Uh, For instance, um, you you can't marry uh, without your parents' consent, for instance. Um, they, um, you, when your parents get old, they become um, your responsibility. That's what the society expects of you, and um, and so you cannot see yourself separate from your family, from your parents, especially um, mm. when especially when they get older. Um, and in many society, like you, I mean, in the Western world, just like you mentioned, um, they have the old people's home. It's not something that is very common. It's, in fact, it's not common yet and even if it's been introduced people will not like it because it will look as if oh you're not doing your responsibility you're taking it to somebody else you know to treat you know because people take it that oh no this is my responsibility and you know you're proud to do it yeah excellent one thing i also in discussion
1: with mordecai mordecai has a deep appreciation of looking after his parents um and uh, who, who, you know, uh, his mother, your Holocaust survivor, is that cr- correct, Mordecai?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: yeah. and, um, and he will not leave this country until he's 100% sure that they're okay, which is, you know, good, dutiful. We only have to, you know, it's a commandment from God. Correct. Commandments. Yes, honor your father and your mother. And there are some cultures that still uh, maintain that command, That God has given and there are some cultures unfortunately that have rejected it uh, much to the chagrin of those cultures okay verse eight Uh, when the most high gave to the nations their inheritance this was your thing Roddy you you picked up on this one he divided mankind he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of Israel okay which is a very interesting thought what are some of the interesting, what are some of the, the things we can learn from that i'll start with one all the nations of the world have boundaries
6: <laughs> good one
1: <laughs> it's, very, yeah. it's very interesting how much we like to move those boundaries you know you really do you know it's like i i don't like where my line is drawn in the sand i think i'll move it um over there and kill everybody between here and there um okay okay we get we get it people do invade but there's another way which we throw this idea aside that god has indeed portioned territories for us
5: the the, uh, the fathers when they went down to Egypt the seventy nations the 70, I mean the seventy persons in uh, Deuteronomy ten
1: okay yep the seventy nations of Genesis ten there is a definite God has a very clear way of, of viewing the world and as as um, a few of us have said can't remember who did it now but um, that's because I'm getting old uh, Israel is somehow related to the way. The nations are spread around the world, which is very interesting, that God has always put in mind to share his light with these people. Uh, Well, the thing I'm getting here is um, uh, while we do acknowledge that empires often invade each other and like to move borders around, um, without invasions, we've been throwing our borders aside willy-nilly, have we not? We have the United States of Europe. Yes. I'm not 100% sure, and I certainly yeah. not convinced that's a good idea. God made borders. Be very careful when you start tearing them up. Okay? I think it's very... sad it says that he gave,
3: Elion gave each in its heritage. He gave it to them. So when we tear down what God has given, we have a
1: problem. Yes. Away what He gives us. Yeah. And There's and a, and I'm I'm interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Elion, this is one of the very few times in the Bible where God is called that. Okay. Right. Elion, Elion. We we know the first time it was done. It was done by Melchizedek. Yes, in Genesis, and um, and yet. In verse eight here, Moses calls it again a very high God, which is dealing with Gentiles, which is what Melchizedek is, right? Right? He's a, he's a he's a Gentile, and he calls God El Elyon. So El Elyon decides where Gentiles live, as well as deciding where Israel lives. And so, you
7: know,
1: it's it's fun to visit other countries. I mean, I love visiting other countries. I really do. Okay, I love travel. I'm sure you guys all love travel too. Um, other, other languages, cultures, foods, customs, dress, the way that they do things. So it's, it's all a lot of fun. But it's also fun and very important to go back to your place, where um, your family is and where where your, your, your roots are. And it's interesting that he names all these generations, uh, all these borders with Israel. And where's Israel living today? Now, I know we'll all say Israel But where else is Israel? (laughs) Everywhere else. In the
4: nations.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. In the nations. In the nations. Mordecai, where's Israel? Tell tell us where some of the lands, where they are these days. They're everywhere, right?
6: Yeah. Macomacom
1: in every place you go anywhere you go to Antarctica you'll find a Jew and you think my gosh how the heck did they get here you know they're everywhere yeah. you better check
6: Chabad's website you see like Hong Kong and somewhere in like Nigeria you got a Chabad rabbi from Brooklyn they go, what the heck are you doing there What? yeah since our Rama, we knew we have you know we kept traveling
1: yes Yes, yes, they've been continually traveling. They also have a land as well. I mean, no. so. Praise the Lord. And and God says that in verse nine. But the Lord's portion out of all of this, okay, is his people. Jacob is, is his allotted heritage. Does anybody have an interesting translation or a different translation for verse nine? Go for it. Mordecai.
6: Oh, uh, it's my turn. It's Havel. It's Raw.
1: Yep, is yeah. my, my wife just went, what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Is, there, is there any <laughs> translation that anyone's looking at that says the word rope? No? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I'll, I'll read the Hebrew out. Okay. Okay. okay that's the first <laughs> sentence. Okay. The portion, the <laughs> the part. Of God Adonai, Imo is His people. Yaakov, which is another name for Israel, His people, because it's remember it's a parallel. Hevel, Nachalol, uh, uh, is His inheritance. But Hevel, as Mordecai says correctly, is rope. All right? Yeah. Now, <laughs> okay, Mordecai, comes down. How, how, is, how is Israel a rope? Go for it, Mordecai, how is Israel a rope?
6: So it's like this is the rope that's hanging down from heavens and it binds us to divinity, you know?
1: Yep, through okay. Torah. So Israel was meant to be a light to the nations. Right. And the rope, <laughs> correct. The the connector, the, rope. <laughs> the connector between heaven and earth was, was was Moshe, was the people of Israel, was the Torah that came down. Right? That was the little connection. Yeah. They were the rope that bound heaven and earth together. This was the way that heaven was going to reveal itself to the earth. Mm-hmm. God was going to speak uh out loud to all the nations of the world the aztecs in in in, we're not going to get a voice from heaven and now we're going to suddenly go oh my gosh there's a there's a there's the god of israel never been to the place haven't seen a map but definitely i know what's going on but but israel was going to be the rope that bound heaven and earth together that was their call it's a very interesting poetry and what happens after
3: they come across the uh Yardin in the Jordan River, we have Jericho, and what is actually put outside the wall? The Havel, the red, uh-huh. rope, right? I had never yeah. thought of that.
0: Yeah. I had never
1: right. thought of it. Yeah,
3: very good, okay, yes. And then she joined the people. Ah, oh, yes, very good. I hadn't seen that, right. That. In- explain that more Kai, because I don't know if I can explain it.
6: No, you can explain it. You explained it already. There was <laughs> <a war. laughs> Yeah. But unfortunately, now the nations of this world call calls that rope as the Old Testament. So it's old rope. If you don't want to buy
1: it, don't buy it. You go and buy a new one. You buy a new rope. <laughs> yeah, okay. M- Mordecai's been um, uh, surfing the internet and, and looking at different Christian preachers, uh, and particularly in the <laughs> Mm-hmm. They dismiss the Old Testament. They dismiss the Hebrew Bible, <laughs> yeah. and
5: it's a little. I don't do that, Mordecai. Yeah. Don't do that, or you'll go, back to, you'll go back to where you were. Don't do that. Oof, there's a lot of that out there. Yes. Yeah.
7: Yes, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um.
1: Aaron, what I can for Mordecai. I was
5: thinking for, very simply. Just I thought about the a rope, just as a. I think geographically it's more of like a stripe.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. no, yeah make it a lifeline. Okay. All right. Uh, c- could we say it's like the Vav, the little Vav that connects the, the you know, the little Vav is used to connect two words together, like a yeah. conjunction. And so um, Israel is that Vav that connects heaven and earth.
1: Correct.
4: For the rest of the world. Yeah.
1: Yep. Lots and lots of... Uh, uh, lots of lots of jewish exegesis do exactly what shimshon just said that when they look at the hebrew they see a vav and they go that that's the that's how israel connects heaven and earth that's the it's like the temple was a router for the world heaven would hit the temple and then it would spread out to the world it wasn't that the temple was the only sole thing god was going to reveal himself to the entire world and how is he going to do it he was going to do it with this nation that was about to cross across into the land. No, just said something. Uh, she used the word strike, correct? It, it's so, also another meaning, it's also another meaning of the word, Hebel. yes. But for this audience, with the majority of the audience that's
3: here, he bore our what with his stripes, he bore our sins with his stripes, correct. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's what yeah. she said.
1: That's what i am thinking of. Correct. Remember, there are multiple there are at least four levels of reading Hebrew. Yes? Yeah. And that's and the so, Bible so Bible. One, one level is the nation, and another level is an individual person yeah. that will also be the cord between heaven and earth, and that will be whipped, will be beaten, will be will bear a stripe, will bear a, a, a cord. Uh, a, a rope is gonna smash his back uh, it's very very, very poetic and very powerful and very prophetic all in one in one in one in one go It's an incredible it's incredible okay? I mean you can pick one or two verses and you can preach for half an hour. All right so that's uh so that uh, now we go into um where. Uh, God begins to say um, uh, some interesting things about about the nature of 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 Israel as they were in the desert. That there are some blessings about being in the wilderness, right? As 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 uh, we've talked, it's not all bad. They were in the desert; it was a wasteland, but God cared for them. He was like the apple of His eye. Although in Hebrew it says the the little man of his eye, like the pupil, literally, okay. Uh, and uh, he was like an eagle. Uh, the Lord guided him, and I don't know who who said verse twelve. There was no other. God. Oh, it was you, Stephen. Yeah. There's what was one of the blessings about being in the wilderness. There were no other gods. There's no idolatry. You couldn't build. There were no false priests. The only priests you had were the sons of Aaron. You had the tabernacle with you. You had the Ark of the Covenant. You were guided by God. What was one of the blessings of the desert is that you knew there were no other gods. That's not no, bad. There was no, no other people. <laughs> that was, uh, that's right, yeah. Also, a prophet, <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> and the um, ones that what, 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 to kill us. Uh, that we, yeah. It. Or Bedouins. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting the way God says it. The Lord alone. Okay. Adonai, there's no one else. And uh, it was just him and his people. That's pretty special. And you can see why in antiquity that there was a movement by people who would flee to the desert and live as hermits. And you think, what kind of crazy idiot wants to go and do that? Well, they would turn around and say, because it's just me and God. There's, there's, I, I, I'm not affected by any of the other rubbish you are. And, and you almost say, oh yeah, you're right, bang it, I'm going to dress in a lone cloth and follow you as well and grow my beard out. Um, maybe not, but, and, and that's right, And, then, and if you come to Israel, lots of monasteries in the desert, because that's what they did. Yeah. They came out here to be alone with God, to record his word, and fight the devil. Fight,
4: yeah, that's a big issue. We saw the the Qumrams, Um, they did that. Yep. They had to leave Jerusalem and go to the desert in Qumram to to set up their base because they felt that um, the city was polluted and um, Jerusalem and the priesthood then was polluted. Correct. And a lot of people believe that... even um, John the Baptist was an SN because he, he also was in the wilderness he separated himself from the people and went to the wilderness
1: yep he has he has some similar characteristics <laughs> and it seemed uh, it is it is possible that for a while he he was a member of their movement okay um although his final message was very different to theirs yeah. um so as, as god says in verses uh uh, 10 to 14, there's a blessing because he. it says, um, like in verse 13, or halfway through 13, he suckled them with honey from the rock, oil out of rock, curds from the herds, milk from the flock, This this sort of idea that even in the wilderness, there was a blessing. And if you think about it, there was. They had the presence of God. Their clothing didn't wear out. They had manna from heaven quail would come and land on the ground and, and you could go and eat it. Uh, he would defend uh, his people against any of the enemies. If any Bedouin one did show up, we could bash him on the head. Um, there, was a, there was definitely a blessing in amongst what appeared to be um, adversity. All right, so that sounds all right. But then once you get to verse 15, we realize what Moses has, has worried about since uh, the, uh, coming towards the tail end of his speech and God's own prophecies as well, that in success, it'll lead to failure. But Yeshua has grown fat and he's kicked, he grew fat, stout and sleek. He forsook God and he, the one who made him. He scoffed at the rock of his salvation, which is a very interesting way to say it in Hebrew. Okay uh to yeshua to the yeshua of his rock and very interesting little way of how you said there's jealousy with strange gods abominations that provoke that, that provoke god to anger they sacrifice to demons that are not gods right which is a very interesting thing to say that behind idolatry is a demon that's what paul said this is where he gets it from. He gets it from his Jewish tradition that um, once, you, once, you, once you leave the true God uh, and you go into things that are not gods, be very careful that they actually might be demons. Gods that are not known, new gods that had even come recently, stuff that we just bought in the market the other day, that your fathers had never, ever dreaded, they had never been in fear of these gods. Again, a tie back to a generational thing. You are unmindful of the rock that bore you, of course, not physically, not biologically, but metaphorically. And you forgot from God who gave you birth, um, a large portion,
5: portion it's of the interesting, It's interesting, that birthing concept, because he, you know it, it brings that, that idea in verse 13, how he suckled him uh, with the honey out of the rock, this whole birthing concept. And then, again, the juxtaposition of not of forgetting the God who has birthed you. So it's very interesting, that concept of the birthing, uh, verse 13 and verse
7: 18. Yep. Well, and earlier, too, you have the feminine form within uh, verse 11. And it's not a masculine form, if I'm reading it okay. right. Let me have a
1: look. What verse is it, 11?
7: Uh, yes. Her nest. Yeah,
5: burying them on pinions. Her yarn. Yeah.
7: Her wings. Okay.
1: Ken, you feel rush, kind of yeah.
4: It's masculine
7: singular, yeah. Masculine singular, okay.
4: And also just to take us back in um, verse number 15, it used the word um, "Jerusalem" to uh, refer to Israel. And um, it's a very unique name to use for Israel. And um, it means um, it refers to somebody that stands upright. And yeah. um, it, it has a very interesting um, nuances when you look at um, the counter of Jacob and the angel. And after the encounter, Jacob was limping. And um, um, so the Midrash says that it's not intended for Jacob to be limping, that God's intention is for him to stand upright. So it's an <laughs> important process to go, you know. So every time I say it's it, it kind of ministers to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's
2: interesting that the word Jeshurun appears three times in the song and then only more than another time in the scriptures in Isaiah 44. It, it's it's obviously very special to this to this song.
1: Yep.
5: Yes. And then going back a little bit, the, the concept of, which I just love, like an eagle, verse 11, that stirs up its nest, that fluttered over its young, that he guided them, and he was with them spreading, and that you, you have that concept at the beginning, of course, with the spirit hovering over, and that's a very... Uh, this idea, but then going back to when they were at, at Mount Sinai, you know, he said, You have seen what I've done to the Egyptians, how I bore them on eagle, how I bore you on eagle's wings. So if you obey my voice, then you shall be a treasured people. So it's that that concept of the bird and fluttering and taking care, and it's beautiful.
1: It is. It is. And uh, yes, and looking at the this name, Yeshavran or yes you run depending on how where you put your vowel um, uh, shimshon you were saying it it, it refers to a man uh, it is true because the final nun is is in hebrew in hebrew how you how you turn um, uh, a verb into a person so like a liar a lie so is a sheker right from lesheker but when you put a nun at the end, it becomes shakram. That means the liar. He is a liar. Uh, it, uh, yeah, yeah. Yesha is, is, is right. We, 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 God is yesha. He is upright. He is yeah. straight.
0: Yeah.
1: It, which is also the same shoresh of Israel, which is what Jacob gets his name to be. Yesha yes. el. Yesha yes. el. Straight with God. And yeah. uh, and so Yesha'gan and Yisrael, although they do appear to be very different per se, they're actually got the same shurash. and they actually have a very much mm. the same meaning. And it's interesting that God, uh, well, uh, God, yeah, Moses, but God through Moses, when he describes Israel, he describes them as one man. Yesha. Yes, as always,
6: you know.
1: Yeah, interesting.
6: There's it's lots sure of them. here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. To yeah, little guys, but they're one man. When it comes time for me to look at them, to 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 shelter them, to protect them, or to have them be my witness for the world, they are one man. Okay, I'm looking at them as as as, a, as one man.
5: Yeah, so, you know, Aaron, this Yashar El, this this is very interesting because going back to Deuteronomy when he talks about keeping. You shall diligently keep the commandments and the testimonies and the statutes, and you shall, do, you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. So it is so interesting the Yashar El, you know, Israel as being the righteous of God.
6: Yep. Let
7: well,
6: me we try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
7: It's that same concept in, Eph- in Ephesians 4 that talks about one. Constantly, right, at the beginning there. So is that the same frame? Yep. Same concept that Paul is taking into uh, his world?
1: Has is to be. what we see he's, here. He's immersed in these Hebrew scriptures. He understands the one new man. He understands the one way that God looks at people, millions of them, okay? including including Gentiles who are attached to Israel, This these people who came <laughs> out of Egypt. And he says, Yeshurun, one, okay, This 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 upright one,
0: and un-
1: yeah. Unfortunately, it's it's unfortunate that the first time we saw it, see it here, it's it's rather negative. Um, okay, <laughs> but not
4: in the
3: beginning of the book is not. And this is one of the biggest issues, one of the toughest issues to discuss with the Israelis. This concept of oneness. There can only be one God. Well, but you've got all these other gods, but God, since the very beginning, is many different layers, limbs, this multiplicity being one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suppose we Jews are just, we're, we're stiff-necked, and we we won't, don't want to listen. We don't
1: want to, because it's all about our Some experience. do, Roddy. Some, some do. That's, that's, let's not put them all about it, but yes. Uh, I'm trying to
6: put myself into the fish barrel, I'm
3: putting myself into the fish barrel with them.
6: Roddy, Roddy, don't bring family problems to here.
3: <laughs> this is the only place I can. You are
1: my family, brother. Yeah. This, yeah. this is a- uh, us, us Gentiles will all leave, and you guys can all have a hug or something. Yeah,
3: really, uh, <laughs> I'll hug you tomorrow.
1: Yeah, hug him tomorrow. Hopefully, you'll come out tomorrow, too. That in, in this section, these there's, there's couple of verses, four verses, 15 to to, to 18, is... um. This upright one, this one that was meant to be straight with God, who gets the blessing of the Lord, unfortunately um, doesn't know how to handle the blessing, and uh, it gets the blessing, yes, but then then can't handle it well, doesn't have, um, appreciate it well, and then and then as he grows fat and, and 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 forgets God and etc., and that is the danger for everyone. And I think Gentiles and the Gentile believers have to also admit that we have also been blessed by the Lord. We have had very powerful nations that have become incredibly wealthy. And, we have, and, and it's been great. We've been able to fund missionaries all over the world, it's been incredible. Okay? We have been able to build hospitals and schools and wells and churches and do all kinds of fantastic social programs everywhere in the world. But at the same time, in our, in our, we also grew fat and lazy, and we have adopted other gods, we've twisted the gospel, we have turned uh we've thrown out half the Bible, you know, calling it old, <laughs> dismissing it, forgetting
0: it. Yeah.
1: And, uh, and, and, and here's Moses. Yes, he is talking to Israel.
5: We'll Aaron, we'll keep those family problems too. Why don't we talk about those family problems? Oh, that's right. Get,
1: all the Jews need to leave and all us Gentiles will have a little cry together about and lament. You know, how, woe is us. <laughs> but uh, no, and, 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 and uh, it's a message for all of us that Moses has, has is giving an incredible... Um, prophetic story uh, that and, and a warning. Blessing can lead to failure. We have to know mm-hmm. how to handle blessing. No, we really do. Uh, a gift of the church, a gift of any community, whether it be Jewish or Gentile, is how do you handle a blessing from the Lord without forgetting God? Can I? Go for yeah. it,
6: so, you explained it very well. So, I just want to share a funny memory from my Yeshua years. When we were studying this, I asked my rabbi, his name was Mendel, he was so funny guy. I mean, he's a funny guy, he's still alive. I told him, like, What do you mean, like, became fat? You know, what does God mean? And he told me that he's talking about American Jews. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, <good.
4: coughs> uh, that's that's a nice one yeah. yeah but not to be so hard on the Jewish people um the, the nations have also done the same um there is a, there is a belief that um, every that Adonai uh, you know offered the Torah to all the nations, and they all rejected it, and they finally offered it to Israel, and Israel accepted it. And you, you ask yourself, how could this be? I mean, we have um, Balaam. Balaam was already having a communication with Adonai before Moshe even showed up the same. And so we already know that the nations already have some kind of um, rapport with Adonai. And um, okay. at the end of the day, we, we don't we don't see anything coming out from it. Um, so. We, the old nations kicked to us also, not only Israel, the old nations.
1: Yeah. Correct. And that's a, that's a
4: point we should all
1: remember. Moses um, is speaking to Israel, that is true, but he is also speaking to the world.
5: Okay. And uh, the whole concept of, you know, um, of course, the, you know, be careful. You're getting, you know, uh, the things that you have as you're having the blessings and in, in, in getting fat and stuff. It just reminds me of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Or he says, do not forget when you go into the land and you'll have all of these blessings. Do not forget, do not forget, remember, zahar. So he keeps talking about how uh, when you'll have so many, you know, the, you know, it's just as you go in and having so many things, be careful, don't forget the gifts of God. Deuteronomy 8.
1: Yes, memory is always incredibly important in, uh, in, in everything that we do. Uh, I don't don't know how to reinforce the number of times. Moses has said, remember. Okay. Well, guys, um, there's a fair bit of this chapter still to go. We'll pick it up next week. Uh, Continue with the song uh, of Moses.
5: Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.